Hello, I'm Kristen McDonald, and thanks so much for tuning into Second Vision. My guest today is living her life with an attitude of love, joy, and purpose, despite her challenge of losing her eyesight. Yolanda Nava is a civil rights pioneer, columnist, author, and Emmy Award-winning journalist and talk show host. She has appeared on NBC, CBS, PBS, and numerous cable TV affiliates nationally and in Los Angeles. And if that isn't enough, Yolanda served as a member of Governor Bill Richardson's team in executive positions within the Museums of New Mexico. Little did Yolanda know that she would lose all of her eyesight in 2009. Her upcoming book, Journey Through the Dark, How Sudden Blindness Awakened a New Spiritual Vision, will be available soon. And Yolanda is what I call a superstar, and blindness might have taken her sight, but not her vision. And I'm delighted to have her here today. How are you, Yolanda? I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. I'm great. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction. Who would have thought that when we met in that train station in Los Angeles that we would end up becoming friends? It's great. Very grateful well, for that. Isn't it? And me too. And, you know, there's so, you had so many awards and things I couldn't possibly enumerate all of them, you know, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your background and, and absolutely the the fact that you are so spiritual, and that was a spiritual meeting. I believe it. I don't believe there are any accidents in life. You know, I, the way I agree we with met you. Sitting yeah, next we to met each when other. I was with my sweetheart, and he looked. He 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 said, "You you both could." You know, he said we, we couldn't see. And he said, "You have to meet each other." And he said, "We were wearing similar colors, and, and you know, leather jackets and jeans and boots." And you know, he said, yeah. "You have to meet each other." And so that was really funny. You know that he put I it know. together. Yeah. Yeah. I know, and I'm so grateful for that, and finally having gotten together. So so tell us, you know, when I was reading about your background last night, and that's one of the reasons why we did connect, not just the blindness, but because we both worked in the entertainment business for so long, and of course you you made it to the, you know, the top of the top, and I know how competitive that is. I worked in news, and I mean, for you to have such a life, I mean, winning um, entertainment of the year, you know, for Latin Tempo. I mean, it goes on and on, all the great things you've done. I mean, did you ever imagine that one day you'd be told you'd never, you'd never see again? Never. It never even occurred to me. I know a lot of people will tell me, oh, I'm terrified of, you know, the thought of losing sight. I never even thought about it. I never, ever thought of any kind of um, impediment to doing whatever I needed to do in life. And I just went through life rather blithely. I didn't worry about retirement. I didn't, uh, I didn't really seek to go into journalism. It came to me, and I accepted the opportunities, and I enjoyed it. I loved it. I, I still would love to do something with it. And it's, uh, you know, my life just has taken me forward, I think, because I've been, I was raised to, to serve. And everything that I've done, I think, has come as a result of my service to others, my helping to organize women, Latina women in particular, Chicano women, and uh, back in the 70s. And I think everything evolved from that, that engagement of service. I loved uh, moving things forward. I could see that the girls were dropping out of school. But, you know, that's how I got into, into, into uh, television journalism. I was at a political cocktail party uh, to support a Mexican-American candidate who was running for uh, Secretary of State, I think. And it's been a long time. And Herman Sias. And I go to this party, and I'm talking to this gentleman, and I've been organizing women, and we had been just testified before the California Commission for the Status of Women. 
And uh, he said, you know, I on television. And that And he was, said, what about television? He said, would he you said, like to be on we television? He said, we were talking. I was talk, telling him what I was doing in organizing the and women. And he said, I'd like you to have come on my television show. I'm the executive producer of a show called Impacto. And it was a public affairs show. And he invited me to come on to talk about the changing roles of Mexican-American women. Well, he asked mm-hmm. me one week. He asked me another week. And then I'm there six weeks later. I said, Manuel, what am I doing? He said, we're auditioning. We've been auditioning you, and we have selected you to host the show, be a co-host on this show. He was going to leave to become deputy mayor of Los Angeles. So it was a conflict. He couldn't stay in, as a television executive producer and host. So that was my engagement that led me to, to my opportunity. Listen, that's how Dr. Oz made it. Oprah just kept auditioning him over and over again. He was laughing about it on the air the other day. I saw a snippet of it. So, so there you go. And it just, you, you blossomed. You just went with it, you know. And I think what you're saying too is you always had a purpose driven life. You know, I, I like that quote in your biography you sent me that, you know, we should all, it's our, it's our God given right, you know, and, and our mission to discover our purpose to make the planet a better place. And right. it sounds like right. you've always lived with that attitude. Yeah, so, I, so I have me. because of the way I was raised. I had a mother mm-hmm. who was older when I was born. Uh, she was 35. <clears throat> and she actually threatened my father with divorce if he didn't bring her a baby when he came home on leave. He was in the, you know, in the, in the Army. And he was based in Canada, and she was in Los Angeles. And so she wrote him a letter and said, if you don't bring me a baby when you come home on leave, I want a divorce because they had been married seven years. They had gone through the Depression, you know, and here it was. <laughs> so he wrote her a letter back and said, get ready. And I was born on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, isn't that wonderful? A gratitude baby. Yeah. That's just terrific. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Well, obviously, I mean, your, the spirituality that you, you know, you were raised with really helped you through this experience. I mean, tell us what happened. You know, how did you lose your eyesight? Well, it was, it was uh, sudden. I uh, had been experiencing a month of sinus and ear infections, and I was going to the ear, nose, and throat specialist, I, um, and they just threw prednisone and antibiotics at me, and it didn't take care of the, you know, the problem. And they sent me to a rheumatologist. I had blood work done. They even explored the possibility of an autoimmune illness, and nothing showed up in my blood work. So one morning I wake up. Uh, I, I left my job uh, that day. It was the last day working for Governor Richardson because he was getting rid of his GovExes. He had to what, before he left office. And we were all accepting or shifting to another position. And I was going to take a little segue break and then go back in. And uh, I went out to dinner with my uh, then-husband. And uh, the next morning I was really sick all night. And the following morning I was blind in one eye. So mm-hmm. I checked that out. And three weeks later, long story short, I go in and I lost sight in the second eye. So that started the saga of what do I do now? And there was no uh, testing, no uh, reflection of any indication of what the problem, what had caused it. And I was in New Mexico. Had I stayed there, Kristen, I would be dead because they didn't say, hey, we don't know what's going on. Go to Houston. Go to L.A. You know, go to Albuquerque. You know, right. So it was was, uh, (laughs) destined that I would end up in L.A., and that was because of my girlfriend, who I'm staying with right now, Cecilia Cole. We were cheerleaders in high school. And she came to visit me, and she brought me to L.A., and, and my kids were engaged and came over, and, oh, my God, Mother, you've got to go to the hospital. So it was very sudden, Kristen. It wasn't something to adjust to. I literally 
the morning I woke up blind, uh, I, uh, I had, it happened over three days. The second I went over three days. Yeah, yeah because um, there's so many different ways someone can lose their eyesight, you know, from detached retina to uh, the retinitis pigmentosa, like I have myself, which is a slow, gradual loss. But you went through it so suddenly with no indication and no return, no doctor telling you, I can attach this retina again, I can fix this cornea, I can give you cataract surgery, nothing. I mean, that must have been terrifying, and yet you seem, your spirit is so buoyant, and you just said you went right on with it, you didn't own it, but let's be human here for a moment for our listeners. Didn't you feel, I mean, you must have been terrified at some point. I, I never felt terror. I felt, I felt tremendous frustration because I like to do stuff mm-hmm. and I don't like to be mm-hmm. slowed down. But I never felt terror in the initial when it first happened because it happened mm-hmm. over three days. And my right. observer self, I am a journalist, um, first it was, uh, it was uh, uh, like looking through, a, uh, it was darker, grayish, darker. Mm-hmm. And then it was like mm-hmm. looking through a burqa and then it went to black. And um, mm. and so I'm observing this, and I think I was so sick, Kristen, with this with the undiagnosed autoimmune illness that obviously was going ongoing for several months. Well, and sure, week, that's another piece. I was, you I didn't know whether you'd get worse. Yeah, but it was uh, there was uh, there was a, a a detachment from what was happening on the physical level. I think I was mm-hmm. already in some other you know state of consciousness, partially. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the hospital, I felt the pain. I felt the fear. Um, it was lonely nights. I was by myself. You know, I'm alone in a hospital. I don't like being in a hospital, number one. And I couldn't see. And so there the fear came in. And, 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 it, and it was, uh, uh, but I worked with it, the idea. And fear, we, we're taught in, you know, is uh, false evidence appearing real. And so I worked with the opposite of what I was experiencing. It sounds crazy, now, but take a pause there, if you don't mind, because many people listening, I know what you're talking about because you've read, you know, you've worked with Mary Baker, um, Eddie yes. Philosophy. Yes, and you're raised, uh, your mother was a Christian scientist. So just to expand on that a little bit for people listening. Well, I, I've never been a practitioner of it mm-hmm. until, or nor understood it. I was raised in it. It was beautiful. I went to Sunday mm-hmm. school. I learned these concepts of, you know, we're uh, reflections of an infinite, loving, all-knowing, all-loving, all uh, omniscient uh, presence. God, it's not a bearded man in the sky. It's a spiritual presence. And so yes. if, if that is a different premise than most of us are taught in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And the ideas that I were, were get, was given as a child, I didn't comprehend at a deeper level. I, 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 I heard them. I saw my mother using science uh, to heal herself. She One day, she was a seamstress. She had to use her hands. And one day, she said to me, Yolanda, I can't use my hands. I can't work. And her, her, her whole, it was as if her whole thumb had collapsed. It just was kind of there, useless. And she couldn't work that week. And I remember she called a practitioner. And at the end of the week, she showed me. She said, look. My hands are healed. And so I saw it, but again, it doesn't make sense to a child of, you know, I was maybe at seven or eight years old. Um, I didn't understand it. And the thought was so advanced from my young mind. Uh, but it, 
it soaked in, apparently. Yes, but you see, they say from age one to five, I had Dr. Bruce Lipton on, uh, you know, he won a um, Nobel Prize on all his work in physics and everything. He says, you know, the subconscious, you know, age one to five, that's the most important time when we get these concepts. So obviously it sunk in. It sunk in, but also concepts. She was pregnant with the thought. She had me. I uh, was born in a Christian Science maternity home. How's that for a uh, daughter of Mexican immigrants? You know, and, uh, uh, it, it just doesn't fit. But the the uh, I was born in a Christian Science maternity home, and I was exposed to her presence, her thought, and Sunday school from the time I was three to the time I was eighteen. So yes, those early years were uh, important. And my first year was just with my mother. There was no, my dad was still in the Army. He didn't see me for the, until I was a year old. So, yes, well, her, her presence yes, that, in my that, life has been extraordinary. I wrote about the influence of my mother and the virtues that she taught me, uh, which are virtues that I, uh, you know, identified being part of the Mexican-American and Latin culture, um, and starting with responsibility, respect, hard work, loyalty, and faith. So she, she gave me principles of living all the way through my life, plus she gave me spiritual principles. Yeah. And I think now they were foreign to many people back in the, you know, uh, 40s and 50s and perhaps even 60s. But consciousness is really evolving tremendously, and we're realizing that we're more than flesh, blood, and bone. Absolutely. We are uh, spiritual beings having a human experience. That seems hard to comprehend, but even when I talk to people who are agnostic or atheist, they get that. Mm-hmm. And of I course, think more and more people are understanding that we are, uh, we 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 can live on many planes, dimensions, yes. thought systems, philosophy. So, see, so you you had that, you know, as a core, you know, a part of your makeup, you know, the, the attitude, which is so important when something like this happens. Um, but then you had to do the practical. So, so you went to the school for the blind in Colorado. Tell us about I that. I went to the uh, Colorado. That's pretty school, pretty Colorado radical from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> they are self-described as a radical organization for the blind. And I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I went down to the facility in the southern part of New Mexico and to see if I you know, would go there for my training, but it was remote. It was in a dormitory-style uh, building. And I remember what really turned me off. The people were lovely. Everything was you know, fine, but... The um, I walked by one of the classrooms, the woodworking shop, and I could smell the fumes of the paint. And I said, I'm not going to be in a building in the wintertime with smelling the fumes of, of, of you know, of varnish. It was probably varnish no. worse paint. And so I said to my counselor, I said, I, I would love to get some training. I said, but this isn't the place for me. My son, in the meantime, had been, you know, exploring things, and he found this center, which touts themselves as the best independence training program in the country. Um, and um, it's the roughest, I'm sure, and I think it's wonderful for teens and 20s blind from birth, uh, young people who, you know, who uh, can shift and, <laughs> and, 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 and live in that kind of environment, you know, for, uh, it was an eight-month, nine-month, eight, yeah, eight-month, eight-month, nine-month program. It was a school year, and uh, they were great. You know, some of them played the piano. They were actors. Uh, they were uh, swimming champions. They were martial arts experts. I mean, these young people were amazing, amazing. Amazing, kids. because they're born with it, and they just, you know, that's all they know, you know. Yeah. 
But to do it later in life, as you did, and that is just so remarkable. I mean, what, what was your hardest day there? Well, what was the most oh, difficult God. task? Did they throw you to the <laughs> wolves? Every single one of them. Every I imagine. I mean, I did that kind of stuff locally, you know, with people coming to my house and teaching me independent skills and mobility. But to go to a school like that and suddenly lose your sight, I just admire you so much. Oh. So tell us, what it was, was the, it the was, most difficult? It was boot camp. I write a whole chapter boot about camp. it. It was That's boot it. camp. And mm-hmm. it was very difficult, and it was exacerbated by the fact that my uh, roommate was a young uh, woman, blind from birth, who hated her mother. So, oh, great. <laughs> and she was bipolar. So oh, wonderful. Was part of the challenge, yeah. And, 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 and I, I really worked, I really sought to, to work with her and coach her and, and, you know, try to get her to move herself for, oh, God, it was a, it was, it was a, I have stories. I won't go into them. They're in my book. Coach her to take her lithium. Yeah. Yeah, to, yeah. Well, she, she would take that, but she took whatever. I don't know what she took. She took a couple of things, but yeah, yeah, she I'm was extraordinary sure. herself. She had a magnificent singing voice. She was extremely mm-hmm. talented and adept at Braille and at, at technology because she had been blind from birth. Um, mm-hmm. But it was hard there because the it was really geared to young people. I was the, I think I was the only grown up for the first few months I was there. I mean, a serious grown up. I was you know already uh, you know uh, an adult adult you know middle aged and right. and uh, and and I'm with all of these you know young things and we had roommates and so I had a you know the young the young roommates. I really enjoyed aspects of it, but it was torture. It was really hard. And, and I can I, imagine. I'm a grown-up. You know, I'm a grown-up using yes, manage my life yes. and confident and all the rest of it. And of you're being course. treated like, you know, a child. And uh, you have, you know, uh, a 20-something-year-old uh, telling what to do, you know, like a little drill sergeant. And so it was kind of funny. I would make, <laughs> I would have fun with it, too. I would play. And, and you know, I have to because I have, a, you know, I like to play and I like to tease uh, like with my Braille teacher, I would, uh, you know, he's teaching me Braille, and I, I would go off the line. Well, of course, how do you know? And so I'm, I'm on the wrong line. He says, you're on the wrong line. I said, well, how am I supposed to feel this stuff? You know, my fingers, I garden, I wash dishes. I don't have the fingertips for this teeny. I can't you make these dots any bigger? And, you know, and then I would take the finger when he's putting my finger, and I'd lift my finger up, and he'd say, here, put, he'd lift my finger and put it on the, you know, the right dots. And then I'd, I'd sometimes I'd pick my finger up and I'd fl- I'd start wiggling it and flying it around. I would tickle his neck. You know, I would I would just do that. I still do it now. It's silly, but I oh, I that's do it so funny. With certain people in you know t- uh, vendors that I go to regularly, but it it uh, I have moments of joy with it. But that was my dark night of the soul. That time in uh, that was. Frightening, terrifying, uh, difficult. Uh, Don't they uh, take, take you out, out to like a mall and leave you there? I mean, put you on a bus alone? I mean, I've heard stories. That was the final. The final was to take you someplace in Denver, drop you, and you had to find your way home. I did not do that. I okay. did all the work up to it, but I didn't do that um, because I knew I wouldn't be able to. And I just didn't feel it was necessary because I was never going to be in Denver again alone like that in my life. So why do I want right. to go through all that? Right, right. Don't worry, you're still a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> to go away it's like that, I so admire and, you. <clears throat> and, and, and we were the, one of the last things we were supposed to do was to cook for 60 people. Now, the first thing is you cook for six. Okay, I did that, no problem. And then you were supposed to cook lunch for 15. I can't remember if I did that. And I wasn't going to spend weeks and weeks of my life when I was trying to get my computer skills back to prepare food for 60. I know how to prepare food for 60. It's not going to help me in my life. Wait, wait. Are you saying 60, 60? 60, 60, 60, because it was the students and the staff. 
And, and, and so, so you'd you be had to cook in a group and with other people cooking for 60 lunch. people? You know, that was part of your graduation. Yeah. That you had. But yeah. these are teens and 20s who haven't done these things. For of me, course. I did that all. I've served, you know, I've had dinners for dinner parties for 40 or 50 people. I've had parties for more than that. I mean, I know how to do all that. Why would I want to spend weeks and weeks of my time preparing for that? So I didn't do it. It's hard so enough for, to prepare for two when you can't see. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I mean, but honestly, it there's was, always you got to remember everything the on the table. Because they were young children that had lived in home, being very sequestered, very uh, protected. And I'm a competent, accomplished person in the world, and I don't need to cook. For, I know how to do that. I still yeah. cook. I entertain. Yeah. I know. I know you've told me that, which is just fabulous, just great. You know, and some people, a friend of mine is partially sighted, uh, one of my best friends in Chicago. She is... Uh, She's a great cook. She owned a restaurant, and she's she's wonderful at all that stuff. You know, I think it just depends on who you were before you lost your sight, too. Well, yes. You know, yes. if you like doing and, that and sort of thing. And the value that I got out of it was um, movement, moving around in a different, yes. strange place, uh, yes. you know, looking for the curbs, being able to cross the street with no signal, a small street. We didn't cross boulevards with no signal. And and to, to really... Well, to struggle your way out of being disoriented and lost. Oh, I can't even imagine. You know, and you're just, you know, and, just and learning day, a cane. One day my, my mobility teacher said, you, you, why didn't you meet me where I told you to? I said, well, I did right, left, right, whatever she told me to do. I, I did those turns. She said, well, you missed the one over there. I said, yeah, how was I supposed to see it? There's no marker there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I do have a smart mouth, and so I haven't lost that. But... Uh, Anyway, I ended up in the wrong place. And um, But you need, uh, for somebody who hasn't grown up like this, I find uh, having a shoreline, having knowing where I am, I have to always orient myself. My son told me that. He said, Mother, never step into a room without knowing where you are. Find the wall, yes. find the this or that. And that really helped me. He was helpful. He must have done some research. Because my tendency is I've just plowed force. I am. I have been a pioneer all my life. And I would just plow forth into life without, uh-oh, wait a minute, where's the curve? You know, where am I? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, well, yeah. and I still do that. That's but, one of the most difficult things I was going to ask you because I'm a very, you know, I like things done fast. I've always been that way. And it's been a humbling <laughs> experience to lose the eyesight and have to go very slow with certain things. Be efficient. Yeah. You're still getting it done, but when you, you hear Uber is coming in three minutes and suddenly you're getting your keys and you've got to get the cane and you've got to... And it's like the simplest thing can take a little longer with a lot of stress if you rush, you know. Well, it, takes, so, it, takes, a, it takes a lot longer in reality. It does. I, I mean, it took me, what, I've written the book. I started the book over eight years ago, and, um, and I stopped for a couple of years because I thought I was finished, and then I... I uh, revised it again because I was going to get published and I, I decided to make some changes and I had some new information. But yes, the, the biggest, you know, people say to me, you know, I'd be terrified to lose my sight. I would just go into my bedroom, close the door and never come out. I said, no, you can't do that. You have to live your life. And and it it is it is a humbling experience. I've always been pretty humble. I've, I'm, I'm very uh, kind of grassroots oriented and, and, and have stayed mm-hmm. through that. And I've moved at all levels, and I'm comfortable in all levels, and I appreciate all people. And But this experience, when you drop something on the floor 
and you don't know where it is. You're crawling exactly. around looking for it. So let me tell you, when you spend some time on the floor, you know, a lot of time on the floor looking for something, where is it? And your head's not fighting, and maybe it's just a half an inch away from you, but you're missing it because, you, you know, you miss it. Uh, I it support the Clorox wipe industry. And so I laugh a lot at myself, and I... I observe myself a lot in the in the experience, and it still is a learning experience. I don't know how to navigate everything, and fortunately, people help me at the at the center. You were discouraged from asking for help. Don't touch me. I said I'm not going to say that to anybody. I'll tell them how to touch me. I'll tell them how to help me, but I'm not going to yell at them and tell me don't touch me. And so that was the growth for me. The growth for me uh, at my stage of life and my level of confidence, was to be able to ask for help and to be able to receive it. Yes, and to receive it. Yes, yes. And Uh, then you learn you're giving help in other ways. You know, we'll get into that in a minute, like what you're doing, getting out there with workshops and speaking. But but that's a very humbling experience. I've had to do that uh, for a long time now is to ask for help, you know, from the computer training to the, you know, in-house help or whatever it is, just crossing the street or opening a door in Whole Foods. Yes. And it's humbling, but the gift is you meet a lot of great people along the way, and you realize everybody's got something, you know. Yes, and it and it really is. Uh, it, it it is it is inspiring. It is empowering, and I I like to. I kind of a I call myself a, an uncertified life coach because when I'm out there, I'm engaging with people, and particularly I love engaging with young people who are going to school mm-hmm. or not going to school. It should be going mm-hmm. to college or, or training or something. And and I talk to them, and I really have a lot of fun. Or strangers on the train or the bus, because I use the the Amtrak a lot to go in and out of Los Angeles. Where and, we met. Uh, even on the airplane. I mean, I talk to people, strangers, all the time, and I I really engage, and I think they feel safe because I can't identify them. And so we have these amazing conversations, and I love it. I mean, I love all that kind of engagement. Yeah, we're we're soul sisters that way. My friend always says to me, "Who did you meet today?" When I come yeah. to the train station, I said, "Oh, Yolanda Novin." I was telling her about her yesterday. She's an attorney and lives in Virginia, and she says, "I'm not surprised to tell me who's this one." You know, so everyone loved our story when we met. You know, yeah, that's so. funny because Drew, who introduced us, uh, you know, he'll say to me, he's a, he'll say, "Okay, Yolanda, what wonderful experience that you have today." <laughs> who did you know? Right, that right, kind of right, thing. and it's like. Uh, it's it's funny because it it uh, I think because you're not impeded by the visual cues, so I have no fear. I have no fear. And, yeah, and we see and people I, differently. I the energy. Across, I go across with an audio signal only. I walk a half a mile down a meandering bike lane, golf course lane, walking path, and sometimes there are bicycles and golf carts coming by. And and then I, I cross a bridge and I go, 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 and, and I get over to the Vaughn Shopping Center, and from there I can navigate around the different uh, vendors. Uh, and even my bank is there, but that's floating out in the middle of the parking lot, so I have to get help to get to that. But And I get help a lot. I, I don't mind getting help. And, um, because and you're in Palm Springs, right, just so and, people know. And so I, you know, I train people and I talk to people, and I even the doctor's offices, I tell them, you know, this is leaded guide. Because they want to grab you by the hand or the wrist, and it's all, you know, it's fragile. It's, you could fall, you could hurt them, they could hurt you. You don't want to do that. Yes. And so I always yes. teach lead a guide, always teach lead a guide. And I, I, I even, like, the arm's real stiff, you know, they're terrified to hold you. They think you're going to break. They don't know what to do. Oh, with yes. Fear of blindness, I think, of all the uh, different uh, uh, challenges people can have, 
uh, blindness is probably the scariest. And they, and, they always and, try to put you first, you know, and I would say, no, yeah. no, no, never put a blind person first because <laughs> they can go down very easily. Right. I'm always correcting the arm. You right. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And their arm's real stiff. And so I, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll kind of, I said, relax your arm. Just relax your arm. I'm going to hold your upper arm. Just let yeah. go. Relax. Yeah. Yeah. And so I give so, them, I give them a lot of coaching in their own because they're, they're really frightened because they don't. You don't have a lot of uh, interaction usually, unless you have a member in your family or something, uh, with people who are blind. Wheelchairs, of course. Yes. Uh, the deaf, we go to conferences and they're, they're, you've got somebody translating you know, for the deaf. But blindness is a whole different world, and it is completely for a lot of people. Yes, yes, and they don't know how to react to it, you know, and, and yet they come away, many of them, feeling very inspired. So I guess maybe that's part of our purpose is to inspire people you know like when i'm at the gym and stuff i get a lot of comments that way and i'm sure you get it multiple times a day you know so tell us because you know we have limited time tell us a little bit more about the book is this an autobiography or is this a how-to book or it is it it's 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 a a a a, a, they're calling it an inspirational memoir and it is uh it is the story really of the experience of losing sight and going through all of that uh literally almost day by day, and the experience Mm -hmm. in the hospital and going through that, uh, going through the shifts, really, that took Mm -hmm. place in Mm -hmm. the uh, process, I would say, of the self-discovery and rediscovery, because you have to recreate your life literally from scratch. Reinvention. um, uh, So it's that story. I think it's going to help. I know it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, because I really sought to take the reader through the shifts that I went through personally and to demonstrate through my activities and my responses how I moved through the challenge of loss of sight. And and so it was a, a, a fun endeavor, and uh, we'll have to talk more about it you know, before the book comes out because it's going to come out in October, and so we've got some time to do that. And... It is. Uh, it was wonderful to write, and when I went back to rewrite, uh, it was because I had a conversation with my doctor that I hadn't had before, and I'll save that for another time because it's rather lengthy. But it's. Uh, it was powerful for me to go back in and look at the experience over the last several years. It'll be ten years mm-hmm. in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're now in what? Uh, we're in May, and um, and it's gone very fast. But there have been a lot of shifts. And I think uh, the acceptance of what is is invaluable. It's so important. Drew, Drew mentioned that to me. He says, you see things how you want them to be. He said, I see things like how they are. And that really helped me because, okay, what is today? What do I have to do today? Okay, today the computer is not talking. It's not responding. It's not doing what it should do. Uh, what do I do? Do I freak out and go ballistic? Yes, I've done that. I've done that mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes a mindfulness exercise. And so one of my chapters is on mindfulness. Oh, okay. beautiful. Turn it off. Turn it on. You know, do all the things. And everybody else has trouble with their computer. But for some reason, I think it should work all the time for me. <laughs> well, and it's because uh, it's our landline to, to life. I mean, it's, yes. it's the way we communicate audibly. Yeah. And so I've had the same thing. I had multiple computers break down on me. Then I went Mac. Oh, God bless them at the Apple store. I have never had, you know, 
I mean, my technical difficulties are minimal now, and uh, I know what that's like a day in the life of when the technical goes down because we can't communicate, and then suddenly yeah, there's yeah. nothing. So and it is a time to meditate. What, not re- just recently, a couple of weeks ago, both my landline, no, wait, no, everything went. My computer was down, my cell phone, the iPhone was down, and my landline went down because my landline is my, my life, you know, my rescue net. I can mm-hmm, do stuff on mm-hmm. that, like if I want to do a webinar or something, I can't do it on my iPhone because I can't dial the numbers fast enough, get the passcode in fast enough. Anyway, I dial on the landline. And so it, it is, uh, it is uh, I, I need all three. Well, one day I didn't have a phone or a landline. How am I going to talk to Access? How am I going to let them know how to get in the gate? How am I going to let them know I can't come out, you know, because I won't know they're there? Right. So all right. these little things that we take for granted, yeah, so we depend um, make on make us really well, uh, feel such deep appreciation and gratitude in the blindness because we have life, we have our mental acuity, we have our ability to speak, we have our ability to hear concerts and music and lectures and and conversation and 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 engagement with people. It's I love having the option of hearing and well, uh, yeah. and having been a talk show host, you know, I mean that's still your gift. You know, so that was that was my original goal in life, and that's why I'm still doing radio. But I mean, it, that's our gift of gab, and to take that, you know, not being able to hear people, I, that would, you know, that would yeah. be very, very frustrating. You yeah. know, but we never appreciated. I mean, I say we. I never appreciated my sight what I do now. You know, looking back, I mean, my first part of my life, just like yours, I'm sure, just took it for granted. We take so many things well, for granted. I did, but you know what? I always observed, and I remember at one point we lived uh, out of farm outside of Sacramento, and uh, at the sunsets there were incredible because you could see from the far- across the 168 mm-hmm. farm line. We didn't mm-hmm. farm it; it was owned by the next door neighbor. But you could see all the way to the Carquina Straits. And it was amazing, Vista, and the sunsets were extraordinary there. The sunsets in Santa Fe were extraordinary. And I would always say to my children who I was around, look at that sunset. Look mm. at the colors. See it. And I can still see the colors in the sunsets. I can still see the Sangre de Cristo Mountains uh, uh, at the at the hacienda, at the ranch where, where I lived before I lost my sight. I can still see those snow-capped mountains. I can visualize them. I can see the garden, arc of the garden. I can I know what colors of plants and the flowers were that I planted there. I I, I see without... Yes, I do, too. And I see in my dreams, and I see when I even when I meet a person, I sort of etch out a sketch of them, you know? Yeah. Listen, I wanted to ask you two short questions because we're winding down down on time and that okay. was one you know um how did you discover unconditional love <laughs> oh <laughs> that's a good one that's a book in itself i went to see john of god in brazil and i was fortunate because a new friend asked if she could go with me i said yes i would love a companion because you know you share the room and everything and, and she's wonderful she's a, a psychiatrist i love her and um and uh i didn't know I was going to have three intentions. I Obviously, I wanted to restore my sight. They gave us three intentions when we got there that were translated into Portuguese for, for uh, John of God. So my, I had to come up with one. My second one was to be able to eliminate any impediments to fulfilling my highest purpose. And the third one came out of nowhere, to be able to love a man unconditionally and to be loved unconditionally in return. And there's a long story on that. It was the discovery of, of unconditional love through pets, through my cat Sasha, and I wanted to be able to love a man unconditionally because I've never had that experience. And um, a week later, I met uh, the love of my life, who you met, and 
and the uh, the encounter was just amazing because we were fixed up by a mutual friend, and I got back to L.A. The, on Sunday that after leaving the day before uh, uh, Brazil time, and um, and Tedessa calls and she says I have somebody I want you to meet. His name is Direct. I want you know he lives in Palm Springs. I'm gonna you know he'll call you. And the next call, hello. This is <laughs> I'm going. Oh boy, who's this? <laughs> And it was just amazing because the encounter was just uh, uh, an incredible encounter, and we just connected so beautifully, and it was, and I told him. I said, I made the intention. This is where I'm coming from. He said, I can do that. And so it's it's been a, a, an interesting journey. I and, like the, the story uh, you told. Love, we're at a distance now, and I, I call it a gap year. And the, the, uh, but it, it, it is what we usually don't experience, I would say. At least in my life, I haven't. I've That's had beautiful. three marriages, and I've been around the block a few more, but I've never had unconditional love where it's just so total, and you know this is right. You know that uh, uh, this is a person that you, you know, are meant to be with. This is your true love, your your love of your life, and um, it's very powerful. It's amazing, and the distance, I still feel the presence, um, and I don't need a contact every day. I don't need it often, and it's just it's just there. It's amazing, and um, it's very powerful. It's what we have. I love have, it. Typically. I love the story that you told, and, um, you know, when he, he kissed you for the first time, and he says, do you mind if I turn a light on? <laughs> <laughs> no, he asked, he asked if he could turn the light on first because we had to walk across the living room because he was going to read it. <laughs> so he said, you know, turn the light on. And it was a subtle light, thank God. You know, it was a headlights. And yeah. and uh, and and so he paused for a minute after he read me the thing that I had asked help with. And he just paused and he just says, "May I kiss you?" And I I felt like a sixteen year old. I said, "You know, yes." And you know, and 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 it was just it was just a beautiful moment. He says, "Well, I didn't want to just come at you. You you might have I might have startled you." So I thought, God, this is an incredible human being. This is an aware human being. And mm-hmm. it was just beautiful, and and beautiful. You know, and it, it was just an amazing. It's a cute story. The first week, it was just a, a a great experience, and he's an incredible human being, and he uh, seems like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Yolanda, you are like I said, a rock star in my eyes, and I'm sure many many people's eyes. And I'm looking forward to just tell us quickly because we have to wind down. Uh, do you have a website? And will the book I do be have on a audio? website. It's uh, yolandanava.com. Okay. And I'm okay. in the process of changing it, so it'll be updated. Um, and the book is coming, uh, the publishing release date is the uh, 17th of October. I'm doing my first event in Pasadena. That'll all be on my website. So people Fantastic. Can and it is on audio? On it will be on audio? Pardon me? I'm working audio? on that. I want okay. to come out Terrific. on audio. Yes, because I Great. want to available Wonderful. to certainly the, the blind community and those who prefer to hear yes. things. Uh, audio right. and I do. I love audiobooks. I'm so grateful for Me that. too. Oh, I, oh, my God. I live, you know, that's, that's part of my entertainment, audiobooks. Well, anyway, yeah. thank you so much for your insight and wisdom. We could go on forever, the two of us. I know that. Um, but we have limited time. So everyone listening today, you've just met my fabulous new friend, Yolanda Nava, and I hope you check out her book in the coming months and her incredible story of overcoming adversity, and remember, attitude is everything. I'm Kristen McDonald for Second Vision. Thanks for listening.